Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Hey, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, Jim. Thanks a ton. I'm, uh, and, and, and thanks for the welcome to Texas. I recently moved down here from Detroit. Spent 55 years there my entire life, and I'm finding out that dealing with houses down here is different. Uh, as an example, oh, yeah. I darn near fell out, darn near fell out of my chair when told me when the following words were used with me, and I quote: "Needing to water my foundation." I, like, <laughs> I thought I knew, so thought someone was pulling my leg, and then I actually read an engineering report that talked about it, and, and I figured out I need to learn some things. So yeah. uh, in general, I, I don't own a house yet. I'm just renting. Uh, I'm renting a, a room from somebody. I'm looking at houses. Two two key things are coming to mind. First of which is is insulation, um, <clears throat> and I'm thinking that insulating up here is, or down here is going to be different than it was up there. Uh, I do understand about 85 percent of the heat into a house is coming through the roofing, and I'm wondering why all y'all down here are using such dark roofs. Uh, I don't get that part, but we'll, we'll set that aside for a second. Uh, you know, how do I, if I'm buying a, a used house, how do I go back in and, and, and put in um, uh, insulation to, you know, other than just spreading more insulation on the attic floor? Um, what about the um, radiant barriers? Is there things that can be done to do radiant barriers uh, after the, 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 uh, the, the roof deck's been installed? And the yep. second area that I'm, I'm, I'm challenged with is we used to have these beautiful things up north called basements. And basements <laughs> let you have access to all of your mechanicals. And I don't have that here. So one of the things that's Well, we have closets and attics that we throw that stuff in. Well, but the, but the one thing you don't throw down there is the, is the dirt plumbing that comes out, out of, like, a toilet. So I'm yeah. not worried about the subterranean plumbing, especially on an older house, and especially if it's back in the days where they may have used black pipe, um, you know, black, black steel. How do yeah. I, how do I, how's a quick way to find that out, and how hard is that to go back in? I mean, do I got to cut the cement and do that in, or is there a way to do that from underneath the foundation? Okay. Well, let's start with, with the roof first. The reason so many people use black roofs here, they like the looks of it, but actually the black will release the heat faster than a light-colored roof does. A light-colored roof absorbs the heat, and it holds it well into the night where the dark colors release the heat faster. So at night when we're all at home, it cools the house quicker. Uh, so that's the reason we do that. Uh, as far as insulation, typically in the walls down here, we're going to have, if it's an older home from like the 60s, it's going to have R11 in the walls. Newer is going to have an R13. And then in the attic is where we really worry about our heat loss because that's about typically anywhere from 65 to 85 percent of our heat loss temperatures and i got to take a break for for uh, news traffic and weather i'm gonna put you on hold because we got a lot of stuff that we can uh, finish up on including those basements when we come back when we left i was talking with uh, dave up in the cypress area who is a transplant from motor city wasn't it yes sir Dave. okay well Okay, so we were talking about the roof, and, and you, you asked about radiant barriers. Radiant barriers are a great thing to do here in Texas because the sun is so brutal. Now, you got a lot of different radiant barriers to choose from. If you use a single-ply radiant barrier, you would have to hang that on the roof rafters 
because it's got to have a dead airspace in order to work. Uh, I personally use one that's a multi-layer system that lays on the attic floor on top of the insulation, and that blocks the heat that gets in the attic from getting down into my insulation into the living area. Uh, the one I use is called Energy Q, and you can call them at 800-900-6220. Uh, you can do it yourself or have it put in either way, but uh, definitely a radiant barrier can make a huge difference on utility bills here. But again... And, and that can, so you put the additional ahead. insulation down and then the radiant barrier on, on top of it. Yeah, and that's if you want additional insulation. You know, remember, down here you're going to not be dealing with the cold that you're used to dealing with. It's the heat that sure. we deal with. Uh, and that's exactly. the reason the wall insulation isn't as critical as the attic insulation is. Now, in, in my personal home, it's about a 3,000-square-foot house. Uh, a third of my house has no insulation, just that radiant barrier, and I run a $200 a month electric bill. So... Wow, that's, it, just, it, that's amazing for down here. Yeah, it, 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 if a house is insulated properly, you're fine. Now, one thing I will caution you on, and you hit the nail on the head when you said techniques are a little bit different. You know, the, the foam insulation works wonderfully up in your part of the country, and it actually insulates very well here as well. But if you encapsulate the whole house with the foam here, your house inside can develop mold issues and things because of our humidity levels. So uh, what I'll typically tell people is if you want to put foam in the walls, that's fine. Use fiberglass in the attic so the house can still breathe and avoid getting sick home syndrome. So Perfect. Thank you. Now, you mentioned basements. We actually or can build. Thereof. Yeah. Well, you can build a basement in, in Texas. In fact, uh, I'm at a home show in Fort Worth today, and there is a basement company here that goes around and builds basements. And you can do it, but the cost per square foot is astronomical comparing, compared to building above ground. We have no freeze line here to deal with, so we have no reason to go down into the ground. Uh, and because of the moisture issues and all the drainage issues we got to deal with, it just doesn't make sense for us to use basements. We can build a second floor or build out for far less money. And we got a lot of ground here in Texas to deal with, so we don't really worry about space all that much. Uh, but they can be built. It's just a cost. is is just not cost-effectively done here. So structurally, they don't, they don't need to be different. No. I mean, it's not, it's not that there's a structural issue because of the soil type here. It's more along the lines of just the cost, and, and, and absolutely I've come to a realization. I've been told at least three times by friends to not forget to wrap my pipes, which, again, was another one of those, huh, what are you talking about? Right? <laughs> well, so, you know, now, we, we, get, we get a freeze at least three times a year. Yeah, but your, your freezes are, <laughs> are, you know, 28 degrees. Yeah, right? they're I, I'm wimpy. Used to, I'm used to running sub, sub-zero for, you know, potentially a week at a time. Yeah, when, when we have that happen, you will see that we don't do anything but stay in our houses with the heater going. Understood. So <laughs> how do I how do I how do I check the subterranean plumbing, uh, specifically the dirt piping? Right, that's gonna all that's all gonna go subterranean. How do I validate yeah, that, or the, do I got a camera it or what? The cast iron pipe 
Uh, you will find it in houses built prior to 1970. Some areas even went as late as 74 and 75. Uh, and yes, it deteriorates in the soil. So eventually any house that has cast iron under it will have to be replaced. It can be tunneled to replace it, but it is expensive to do. If you start looking at houses that were built prior to 75, I would recommend you have what's called a static test done on the sanitary sewer lines. And that's basically where they will drop a test ball in, blow it up, block the exit, fill the entire system with water, and see if it holds. And if it doesn't, gotcha. then it can be isolated, find where the leaks are. But truly, I would be looking at doing a total replacement if I was looking at buying a house that had cast iron under it. Uh, yeah. And and like I said, you're you're looking at some serious money. Uh, my company, Due West, says we have a plumbing division that does that type of work every day. The static test runs you about three fifty. The replacement gets into serious money. Yeah, we're trying. I was figuring, you know, like a three bathroom house. I'm probably because you got uh, sinks and showers and 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 toilets and don't forget the kitchen. So I was figuring at least ten grand. Uh, 15 would probably be more accurate, but somewhere in that range. Okay. And that's probably, I mean, I've done all my own mechanicals up north. Again, the uh, the, uh, the luxury of the basement. Um, yeah. I'm guessing tunneling under the foundation and, and then replacing uh, the soil under the foundation being the key factor there so you don't end up cracking your foundation, which I also understand is something i got to keep my eyes open for. Yeah, and, and tip, when I tunnel uh, for replacement plumbing, we always underpin it at the same time because there's no way to pack that soil back in the way it was. And so to avoid future movement, we go ahead and include piers in our tunnels well, when we're doing it. Or at least we make it an option to the homeowner. So, yeah, that, that is something you need to look at. And, again, it's, exp it's expensive work. But uh, Due West, if you ever need it, can definitely take care of that for you. And, Dave, with that, I'm going to have to let you go. Welcome to Texas, and uh, you get used to it. Lynn, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Well, our shower, also in the master bathroom, uh -huh. it seems to mold up very quickly, even though my husband re-cocks it and everything like that. Yep. How can we prevent the molding in the shower? Well, what typically causes that is two things. One, there's moisture sitting in there that's, that's uh, keeping it wet, so it allows that mold and mildews to grow. Is it growing just in the caulking or, or other areas as well? Um, the caulking, but like on the bottom also where the water drains down into the right. whatever that is down there. Okay. Uh, because the Our caulking, house is 20 years old. Yeah. The caulking, you can actually get a caulk with a mold inhibitor in it that would minimize it, it growing molds that way but you'd have to peel off all the old caulking. Now, if 20-year-old shower, is it all tile? Yes, except for the bottom part. I don't yeah. know what the bottom part is. It's kind of like plastic or something. I'm not sure what it is. Yep. But it I'm gets betting. black so quickly. Yep, and and I'm, I'm betting that it's got sheetrock behind it instead of a concrete backer board. And mo uh, moisture will go through the grout lines and gets into that sheetrock. And so the mold starts growing from the inside out. And typically when you have that, the only thing that's going to ever permanently fix it is to 
re replace that. The, the, the showers are not meant to be built with sheetrock, but it's done all the time by the builders. They're supposed to use mm -hmm. concrete backer board, and then the moisture-resistant sheetrock is supposed to be what's in the whole rest of the bathroom area. But what they do is they use regular sheetrock in the bathroom and then try to use that uh, uh, green rock or moisture rock in the shower and tub surrounds, and that's not what it was developed for. And this is the issue you end up with. And usually around 18 to 25 years is, is when it really gets bad enough that you start having the problems that you're having. The next thing that's going to happen is tiles will start popping loose off the wall. And once that happens, you just got to gut it and, and replace it all. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. I recently heard an opinion on the radio that made me question my intention to expand my kitchen. The comment was that society is changing and he thought kitchens would go back to being smaller and living, entertaining gathering areas larger. He commented that more people are ordering meals delivered to their home rather than cooking at home and even some restaurants cater more to deliveries rather than sit down at the table customers. I'm considering increasing my kitchen size and adding a wet room. My house is a Craftsman bungalow, 85 years old, 1,296 square foot. There isn't much space for either, but how I allocate the space could be a factor. I live in, inside the loop in Houston. Would like your thoughts on whether I should have the kitchen as is and just update as opposed to expanding. Thank you. Well, here's the deal. There are some people, especially younger people, who are doing more eating out and take home and all that kind of stuff and not using their kitchens. But you know what? They still want a good-sized kitchen. Uh, the other thing is, right now the economy is doing well. Despite what you might hear on the news now and then, the economy in Texas is doing great, actually. And when things are going really good for people, they love to eat out and don't want to bother doing all this stuff. When the economy turns, and it will eventually turn again, it always does, it's very cyclical. You know what? People are going to start cooking at home again and eating at home, and they're going to want that bigger kitchen. So my take on it, you build what you want for yourself as far as a kitchen size because there is no kitchen that's going to be right for everybody, and I don't think it's really going to limit who's going to be willing to buy your home. I myself am looking at doing an expansion on our kitchen to make it a little bit larger because uh, as my kids are getting married and bringing more uh, spouses home and stuff, we need more space in our home. So we're going to make the kitchen and the dining area larger. It's just my opinion, but I, don't, I, don't, I personally wouldn't worry about it a bit as far as doing an expansion like that. Yeah, I had an interesting question from Mark in Conroe. And uh, he says, when we draw water from our taps, it sometimes cavitates, produces bubbles for a minute or two. I paid a guy $700 to replace our bladder tank, but nothing changed. Uh, he has a well, in, in case you hadn't figured that out yet. I think the one-way valve down the well pipe has failed, allowing water to drain back down because of gravity. But I don't know 
that for sure. Once the water has been on a couple minutes, the cavitation stops. Who can I call that could reliably diagnose what's going on? Thanks a million. Well, here's the first thing I'm going to tell you to do. You should have some outside faucets, and usually there's one near the well. If it truly is that it's drawing down and somehow drawing air into the system, when you turn that outside hose bib on, you should get the same issue with the air coming through. If you're not, then it's not going to be in the drawdown. If you are, then call a well guy to come out and service the well because it, it could be actually a, f a few different things. Yes, it, it could be that the uh, anti-siphon valve is leaking by, but also, and you probably don't want to hear this, but it can also be that you're starting to have an issue with the well running dry. And, uh, you know, if that's the case, it may have to have some drilling done. But you really don't know until you get the well guy out there. So that would be my advice is to start with a well guy. Now, if he finds that everything is fine, then the next thing would be to get plumbers out to start looking for where there's a line leak. But typically, that shouldn't be allowing air into the system. That's why I would start with the well guy. Johnny, this is Jim. How can I help you? Jim, I've got a little hot water problem. I've got several problems, but I want to address the hot water problem. I've okay. got, a, I got a, a master bedroom that's got a like a sauna hot tub in it, yeah. and then I've got a, a separate shower. Well, I've got plenty of hot water, like for the hot tub and every other faucet I have in the house. But on this one shower, I got water, but it's like it's like not near hot to that one particular faucet. Okay. I'm wondering if it's the supply. I'm thinking maybe the supply to that shower comes from the hot tub, and the little line comes off there's like only like a half inch line, or is and, you reckon and, and, it could be that or the cartridge. Well, is it a single handle? Yes. Okay, if you remove that handle, when you when you look down at the face of it there, there's there's probably going to be a little cog deal. It's about a half moon sh shape. Yes, it's got a little gear. Looks like. Yep, so it's, it. it's got an adjustment screw on it. Loosen up that adjustment screw, slide it over. You're laughing at me because I'm making fingers move, movement while I'm talking, aren't you? No, 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 I, no, not I mean, not you. I'm, I'm talking out here at the home show. At the home show, but if you'll slide that cog a little bit and then tighten it up, uh, what that does is it controls how much hot water can go into the the uh, cartridge, and so okay. that's just a an adjustment that you can. It's mostly for when you have kids to keep them from burning themselves. But yeah, you can adjust it that way, and then you'll be able to get more hot water. So I adjust it clockwise or counterclockwise? Ah. Man, if I could remember that, I'd be a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> I always I always have to mess with it and try it uh, both directions to get it right. Okay, can I ask you one other quick Absolutely. question? Absolutely, go ahead. I've got an outside faucet that leaks every time I turn it on. Okay. Uh, it doesn't leak when you turn it off or anything like that, but it leaks when you turn it on. And it's a like a frost-free washer. It's got like a nipple on the end of it, like six, seven inches long. Yep. 
Do I have to do I have to pull that whole thing out, cut lines and everything, and replace that? When you it's turn it on, it it just gives a, a spurt of water uh, as a, as the leak, and then it stops, doesn't it? No, it just keeps on keeping on. Oh, does it? Okay. Yes, sir. Then yes, it sounds like that. You know, because on those frost ones, the the seating and package and everything, packing is all way back in there. Uh, it sounds like it just needs to be rebuilt. There should be a nut that you undo the whole stem and everything comes out and you can redo the the faucet and put it back in again. So I don't have to take the siding or nothing off. I just uh, nope. take the internal faucet apart? Correct. Okay. Now, if the seating went bad, then you may have to change the whole thing out. And if that was the case, you would have to re- possibly remove a, a, a little bit of siding. But... Typically, all it is is, is redoing the uh, O-rings and washers and stuff in there. Okay, well, I got, I'll got. i try that. I, first of all, I'm scared to break it loose because I'm afraid I'll break it. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Have a plumber do it then. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, at least I know what, which direction to go. All right. Take, I think you've been very you helpful. You bet. Take care, Johnny. James, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Thank you for taking my call. I have a quick question for you. I have an old house that was built probably in the 20s, so it's on blocks. And in the living room, uh, for the I don't know what the wide span is, probably 12, 15 foot. And the floor, just over the years, it's kind of settled. I guess the two-by-sixes underneath have uh, got a little bit uh, out of true, uh-huh. and it shakes a little, vibrates. What would be the best way to shore that up from underneath the house? You know, the mistake that most people make is they'll go down and put what they call a shaker beam where they just add uh, another, like, uh, four-by-six under some posts, uh, you know, right. on columns, on base pads. And what happens then, you have just mixed new spots with old spots as far as what's supporting the house. Those old pads that are underneath there have been supporting that house for, you know, 100 years. And right. now you you've got this thing moving at a different rate every time the soil expands and contracts. Typically, if you'll go underneath and adjust the existing beams and tighten everything up, that normally will take the shake out. If it doesn't, then you uh, look at your 2 by 6s see why they're shaking, and you can maybe stiffen those up. As much as possible, I avoid adding block stations like the plague because... Uh, it, it is going to cause you a lot more problems in the long run uh, than it, than the problems it's going to solve. So by that you're saying like putting a support in the middle of it to hold it up. Don't do that. Yeah, don't don't uh, don't add, start adding supports in the middle. Right. You okay. Know, it, it spanned all that stuff for for all these decades, and normally what what we find normally is it's really just a matter of the existing beams need to be shimmed up a little bit and that tightens everything up again okay great well i appreciate that because i was about to do the mistake that you said do the first thing you said to do so yeah i'm glad i yeah. called you you know I, I, I i'm and i obviously i say this a lot i own a foundation company do west foundation repair it's my family business and we go behind where people have done that time and time again Mm-hmm. In a simple fix, we just take that stuff out, reshim what's there, and almost always that fixes the problem. Okay, great. 
Well, I appreciate it very much, and uh, I really enjoy the show, and thank you for all the information. You bet. Have a great afternoon. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. I want to build a parking spot next to my garage to park an addition vehicle and utility trailer. Can I just level it as best I can and dump gravel, or should I dig down to a certain depth, compact, add more gravel and compact again, and what type of stone would be suitable for this? Thanks. Well, you definitely want to dig down and compact it. And the main reason, you're having to put a minimum of six and typically looking for eight inches of material or better. If you try to go with just a two to three, four inches of material, when it rains, it gets soft because moisture will go through that material, regardless of what kind of stone you use and, and how it compacts and all that stuff. Moisture gets underneath it. And so when you drive on it, it'll start moving with the wet soils. So by going down, putting six to eight inches of material or so, you can compact it where you don't get this movement. It'll still move up and down as the soil contracts and expands. But when you drive on it, it won't sag and you know start getting ruts where the tires go and stuff like that. So that is the right way to do it. Take material out, fill it in, compact it. Now, you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, every four inches compact it. I like to do two-inch lifts because it packs it much tighter. Uh, and the tighter it compacts, the better it's going to hold up. You won't have settlement of the material itself compacting on itself later. As far as what material to use, you can use crushed concrete. You can use crushed limestone. Uh, you know, the, the green rock, there's all kinds of materials you can use. The, the big thing you want to look for is a material that has fines in it that will uh, bond with each other. And that's the, the, the key factor is you want stuff that's going to bond back with each other. Uh, if you use too large of stones, they're not going to bind with each other at all. It's the, the fines in there that allow that to happen. So beyond that, it should be just fine. You shouldn't have any real issues with it. Uh, but And one other thing, though, you know, if, if you try to put the materials just on the top, you're going to be raising the level so high, it's just going to look odd. Ralph, now, what are you doing today? On repiping, do you prefer to use the, uh, when they come in and clean out your old galvanized pipe and reline it or put in uh, PEX? You know, I, I don't have anything against the e-pipe system. That's that's where they reline it. But yeah. what I've been seeing is a lot of the guys who used to do the e-pipe system have gotten away from it because the PEX is, is so uh, affordable at this point. Uh, it it kind of lost the need for the e-pipe system. Okay. I just hate having to come in and try to tear up walls and all that. Well, neither system should have, neither way should have to tear up a lot of walls and stuff. Typically, the places where they have to tear up walls is uh, like on a shower. If, yeah. if your faucet is against the wall and there's not an access panel on the backside, both systems are going to have to open up the wall at that point. Uh, and same with t bathtubs and things like that. Now, where it comes to, like, dropping down for sinks and toilets and stuff like that, 
the nice thing about, and, and this is why the e-pipe systems have run into such trouble, the nice thing on the PEX plumbing is it's flexible and they can feed it down between the 2x4 studs. And yep. then it's just a minimal hole that they can reach in, get that pipe, and pull it out. And so there's really no repairs that become necessary. Not to say that there doesn't have to be a cut here and there, but uh, in both systems there does. But if you want to do the e-pipe system, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Bland, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Yes, I had a quick question for you. Um, I've got a house with a slab foundation, and oh, it varies from time to time. Sometimes heavy wind, sometimes um, uh, sometimes no wind at all. It just sounds like a creaking sound. Um, sometimes it's just in one room. Sometimes it travels from one room all the way through the house. Yep. It's kind of strange. Yep. And how old is the house? Uh, 74. Okay. 1974. And it's really not unusual for houses to make noises like that. As the the wood dries out and gets moist again, it swells and contracts. And a lot of the creaking noise we're hearing is nothing more than wood rubbing against wood or the nails in the wood rubbing against the wood. Uh, Surprisingly enough, the wood will slide ever so slight on those nails, and it'll make popping and creaking and just all kinds of uh, nasty noises that just, it sounds like somebody's up in the attic stomping around with with, uh, sledgehammers or something. Uh, Right. The other thing that can make a lot of noise like that is when uh, hot water is running through pipes and the pipes are changing size. It'll rub against the wood as well where the where the pipes are drilled through the two bys and stuff. Uh, so there's all kinds of things that will make a house creak and, and moan and groan. A lot of times people are worried that it, it's actually a foundation issue, and 90, 99% of the time it's not. Okay, that's what I was afraid of. I thought it might have been a foundation issue, but I don't yeah. really see much of a problem with that right now. Now, as long as, you you know, keep it watered around the foundation, a little bit of water daily, keep the soils expanded because it's impossible to keep them dry, you'll be fine. Well, I sure appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Take care. Lynn, welcome to KRLD. How can I help you? Thank you much. I've been watching uh, on Facebook every now and then these ads pop up for some sort of a coating that they spray on your roof. And I'm just wondering, is, is it hype? Is, what, what is it? <laughs> is, is it spam? Is it, what is it? Have you seen these ads? Well, which, which coating are you talking about? I don't know. It's some to, sort of spray coating that they put over, they spray over your roof, your existing roof. and uh, In order to extend, extend the life of it? Yes, or extend the life. You know, I will tell you, uh, I was down at the Fort Worth Home and Garden Show yesterday. And I did go over and talk with uh, a company because, yes, I've been seeing that stuff as well. And I want to know what in the heck are you guys trying to pull here? And yeah. Here's what I found. They're, what they're spraying on is an oil-based product. And it soaks into the roofing materials. And basically what it's doing is rehydrating these oil-based materials because a a shingle you know an asphalt shingle has a lot of oil-based products in it 
And Correct. so this oil that they're putting on it gets absorbed by those materials and helps extend the life of it, makes it soft and durable again. Uh, what they're t saying is it will extend the life of the shingle by about five years by doing that. And it can be done up to three times so you can actually extend it out about 15 years. Now, I have not used this product at all, but from what I was looking at and playing with on the shingles that they had there and stuff, it somewhat can make sense. I don't know about getting an extra 15 years out of a roof here in Texas, but uh, I can definitely see where, yes, it, it probably does get absorbed by that asphalt material and, and helps extend the life of that roof. Okay, and, and how many years? And Five after, years. Don't know what it says. How many years should should it be before you apply it off of a new roof? You know, if you got uh, a new roof in there, should you one, two, three, four, five? Do yep. it immediately or what? Because no, uh, you, my, my, uh, that was one of the questions I had, and what they were saying was, uh, right now their standard is seven years. I normally tell people wait seven years. In some rare cases, if you have like a 15-year shingle instead of a 30-year shingle, then they will drop it down to six. But typically, if you're running a normal 30-year shingle, uh, start using this at seven years. And, and let's face it, in Texas here, if you got a 30-year roof, you're typically only getting 15 to 20 years out of it because the sun here is just so brutal. Uh, it, it just tears it up in that amount of time. So you wait seven years. This keeps it looking good for five additional. Then you can put it on again. So, you know, you're really talking only about extending that roof to something in the, the 21, 22-year okay. range, which is not far off from what it's doing anyways. But the <laughs> fortunate thing is it's it's not a, a super expensive process. Uh, okay. from, from what I gathered from them, if it's a 2,000-square-foot roof, or 2,000-square-foot house, rather, you're probably looking at something in the neighborhood of $1,800. Okay. All right, because I thought as your roof deteriorated, you started using the the granular material that's on there, and that's that's where your roof starts degrading is because of that. It is. Uh, and But what this does is it soaks into the asphalt that's holding those granules Yeah. and allows it to stay attached longer. Okay. Well, I think I'm going to wait a little bit longer to see how the product plays out and maybe get a few a few people experience with it. All right. Thank you much. Enjoy you, your show. You're doing the same thing I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Lynn. Take care. And, you, you know, I, I don't recommend stuff to you guys until I've had a chance to thoroughly check it out. And although a lot of what I was seeing on this makes sense. I'm definitely not ready to say, hey, this is a great way to extend the life of your roof yet. I w definitely would want to do a little more checking out. Uh, and I will tell you, it's kind of a franchise-type system. They've got uh, dealers in fo all 48 states, uh, you know, of the continental United States. And Texas is actually one of their later states. They've, they've been doing from what they've told me, extremely well in the northern states. So we'll see how it plays down here in Texas because I can see it probably doing a little better in northern states than here because our sun is so brutal. And honestly, what I want to see is the longevity here in Texas because if the original shingle 
is drying out after seven years. If you rehydrate it with this material, is it really going to get you another five? Uh, that That's kind of what I'm really questioning on it more so than anything. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.